meet jasper <laughs> i think that's great it's like the one downside to know to know video is i can't see the dog oh i got you I yeah, the, so okay. you saw okay. so you saw and we're we're we're, we're recording now just so you cool. know but um you saw how much how difficult it was for me to get this and get connected to you right now could you imagine if i was doing video as well oh so. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> Other than I think you probably have a cute dog, but you can always take a picture of your dog and send them to me later. Oh, I will send you it. I will send you a picture of Jasper in an email. He's a Shih Tzu, um, oh. but we we cut his hair down, so he doesn't really look like a Shih Tzu. We cut his hair down depending on the uh, the weather here. Okay. So uh, when it's hot, he hates the heat, and so we cut him all the way down, so he really doesn't look like a Shih Tzu. I know he's right on that. Yeah, I don't like the heat either. <laughs> So how how is everything going, Dinah? Thank you once again for uh, taking the time out and coming and and bless me in oh, yes. our thank podcast. For, I've been excited your, about this for a while. Yeah, thank you for uh, staying engaged with me. Uh, there's been a few, you know, for anybody who's listening, there's been a few uh, pushbacks on the on the recording of this, but here we are, and I'm so happy to have you on here. Thank you. So. Just to jump in, and you know, I typically have a, a slight, tiny um, introduction at the beginning of the podcast. But you worked in, uh, in uh, was it corporate? Corporate? Yeah. What was the title? I was in corporate IT for twenty something years. Um, okay. So I got, I went to college for my bachelor's degree is in chemistry, which I've never directly worked in chemistry. I figured out I didn't want to do that my junior year. Um, okay. and then, but I, it was faster to finish my degree and then get my master's degree in engineering management, where I focused on basically management of technology and also quality management, learning what quality actually is. And then I jumped into IT consulting after I got my master's degree um, and focused a lot on my whole career has been focused on kind of being that bridge on technology teams or in tech companies between business side and technologists. So I like to say I'm a little bit of a secret Dakota ring. So whenever there's kind of that line or that tension between the highly analytical engineering people that got have to figure out how to do something and then um, business side people that are trying to press to on what to do, I was often the kind of the mediator and the translator for those concerns, which is a, kind of a cool place to be. Right. Um, I really enjoyed it. I did a lot of different roles that leaned on those skills. And I feel like to a certain degree, I do that now because I focus on um, career and executive coaching. Most of my clients are leaders in the types of companies and roles that I came from. So a lot of engineers, software technologists, project managers, those kinds of people uh, are most of who I work with. So yeah, I feel so like when did you, 
I feel like I've been a communicator for my whole career, but I didn't realize until maybe two years ago that that's primarily been my job my whole career. Awesome. So when did you find out, when did that job begin to suck for you? When did it begin to suck? Yeah. What's interesting is I love that question because like (laughs) I know like the the platform we found each other on, like uh, my top line of of my bio says work shouldn't suck, which I firmly believe in. Um, there were actually a few iterations of it suckingly. So I did not do all that 20 years at the same company. I moved around quite a bit in my career. I started my career during the internet boom. So in 1999, I took my first job out of college and I was happily working as an IT consultant, learning all the things and getting exposure to multiple industries. And then I got laid off. Um, like a lot of people did at the end of 2000, found another job really quickly, got laid off again. And so that cycle sucked because I'd grown up in a household with parents that worked for the same company for decades. And they're like, what did we do wrong? Like we have this kid that can't hold a job. That's oh, how they boy. felt. Like during the- <laughs> wow. But um, the after I kind of got settled. So in 2002, I found a job with a healthcare IT company. I stayed at that place for five years and had several roles within that company. But what happened is like each of the jobs sort of outlived their usefulness in some way. So in my career in executive coaching practice, I talk about four foundations of an ideal job. Or a dream job. You know, everybody has a different word that they like to use for that. But they're basically having the right work to do. So work that's interesting and exciting and and challenging enough without being too far over your head. Um, Working for the right leaders, meaning both you have a great direct boss and also you work at a company with a good strategic direction. Um, there's the right environment, which covers everything from like, are you being paid fairly for the market to do you have flexibility that you need in your job to, um, is it highly bureaucratic or is it a little looser, those kinds of things. And then finally the right culture, which is purely about values in action, the way I define culture. And at various stages in my career, I would find that a couple of those pillars or those foundations might be broken. So when I worked for that job, the healthcare IT company, I was there for, like I said, almost five years. And towards the end of it, what was going on is there, there was not really room for advancement the way that I wanted to advance anymore. And I also was working for a leader that was really problematic. Like, um, I had always, I actually knew her before I went to work with her in my last role, but she and I had always gotten along well, but it turned out she was the type of manager that always had to have somebody on their team. They're kind of after, you know, like there's always that one right. direct report that she, she has to have one direct report that she's riding really hard. Okay. And she basically made my life hell. And so I was like, well, the work is starting to be boring and this boss is no good. So it's time to move on. Um, and I had, I had a couple different things like that where I would see that, Usually it takes two or three of those pillars before I would want to make a jump, you know, to be broken before I'd want to make a jump. But the very last thing before I left and went full time into my own business, which I'd been coaching on the side for a few years, doing some consulting on the side for a few years, was a combination of environment and leadership. So there was um, promises of promotion 
I had actually been functioning in a role for two years. Uh, I'd been in a role and I was functioning uh, at least one, if not two roles higher and not getting promoted. And there were a couple other people in the department that were dealing with the same thing. They were just not promoting people to the role that they were doing. And we were grossly underpaid. And I got real sick of that. And then also I worked for an executive that um, he, he basically was not taking care of issues that I reported with regard to discrimination on the basis of visa status. So he violated company anti-discrimination policy and I couldn't, I, right. I, I could not be there for any longer whenever that okay. happened. So that was your last position? That was my last position. I worked right. for someone that, that basically um, was horrible in all the ways a leader can be horrible up to and including violating anti-discrimination policy at the company. Right. So, so in your 20 years prior to, um, you named four foundations. So did you, did you basically come up with, well, I was lacking in one or two of these different uh, pillars or foundations, you know, and then once you got away from it, you kind of realize like these were the things that would make for a good environment. How did you come yeah, up with I, I came up with those foundations about three or four years ago. Okay. Well, so it was really, whenever I started full-time in my business, one of the things I learned really quickly is that if you are a coach or a consultant that doesn't have frameworks to help explain what you do to people, you're going to starve because mm-hmm. clients need something to grab onto. And I, started looking through the work I'd done with prior clients. And I started thinking through my own career and careers of my friends that had made shifts, you know, where I, where I knew deep reasons around it. And I realized that that's, that those were the four buckets or foundations. Um, So I wasn't at the age of like 26, I wasn't Uh thinking to myself, well, we're missing (laughs) this pillar. No, I didn't have any of that. Um, at that time that's been developed in the last few years, but it's real handy. <laughs> no, it really is because, oh. uh, you know, I was telling you earlier, I did, I did 26 years in the army. And so I was just used to whatever type of environment that was there at the time. Right now we, yeah. we tried to have, I mean, we had training and leadership training and, and things like that. Right. But rarely did you have all four of these pillars. And so when I got out of the military, you know, because that's really just based on structure, right? It's based mm-hmm. on rules and procedures and structure and everything has to be followed. Um, when I got out, I didn't know how to do. You get what I'm saying? I didn't know how the uh, civilian workplace would be. And I was kind of nervous about it. Um, and I've, I've landed in a spot where I can honestly say the culture is great. The environment is wonderful. My leader uh, the leaders, you know, so my direct report, I mean, my direct leader and above are great. And I have interesting work, though it's challenging as hell, right? <laughs> but uh, you want, like, what, one thing that I, you know, I, I actually have been contemplating writing a book about this because I've done enough talks and I work with enough clients on it at this point. Um, one of the things that I find so interesting is how few people, that are talking about, say, culture or, you know, the right kind of work to do are looking at it through the 
the lens of helping someone identify what they want or have the courage to say what they want out loud, um, as opposed to imp- imposing their impressions of a great culture. Um, okay. So for me, whenever I'm working with people, I could work. I could work with someone out of the military. There are a lot of transition things that I'm not equipped to deal with. I don't know quite enough about that world um, to specialize in that, but fundamentally what I'm trying to do is help my clients understand uh, and articulate, this is what I'm about. This is what I need. And then go figure out how to ask questions to find it. So you on some level had done this, Lee, you knew yourself or you're just the luckiest human. (laughs) That's possible too. But you knew enough about yourself to know, Ooh, this job I have right now, I, you might not have been able to say why, um, succinctly, but you knew that it was resonating with you. So for me, I'm a pretty informal person. I hate bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy, but what's bureaucracy to me is comforting to somebody else that really enjoys structure. Neither of those things are right or wrong. And a lot of people like to say things about culture as if there's one universal, perfect culture or perfect work environment. Um, something we've seen thrown around a lot online is everybody wants to just work remotely. That's actually not true. Oh, I know. There's a lot of people that want to work. Well, and that's not even counting like, well, some people can't like the plumber cannot fix your pipes from his home office. So, um, but there's a lot of people that are finding that they're, you know, they've done a few years now of hundred percent remote and they're missing human interaction. They're missing a reason to put on pants every day, uh, that kind of stuff. So I don't, I try not to presume what culture is right for somebody, Mm -hmm. what work is right for somebody. I try to help guide them to what's going to work for them. So, and to be open to trial and error, like a little trial and error is fine. Failing a little bit on getting this right is fine. And, um, you mentioned earlier, like in the military, you never saw where all four things were great at the same time. Um, something I also talk to some of my clients about is sometimes because we want to eat and live indoors, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you like eating and living indoors? <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, you got to feed Jasper, your dog. There you go. Uh, he likes eating and living indoors. Yeah, you, if you, if you can't quite hit all, all four of them, you need to know which ones are most important to you. And then also I encourage people to figure out how to go scratch the itch for the other ones. So as an example, sometimes people have a hurdle to qualify for more interesting work. You know, maybe they want to transition into being a project manager or transition into something that they don't have all the skills for yet, but Mm -hmm. they need to have a job now. Like they need to have something now because they've got to eat. So I would encourage them, you know, figure out how to go find a company where maybe there's a growth path into what you want to do, but the other pillars are good. Like if the flexibility is good and your leader is good and the culture is good, then you're going to find it easier to get support for that longer term career transition you want. And then maybe while you're working that job, that hopefully fits with your life. You can go take some classes to get qualifications or start a side hustle or, or something like that, just so that you can keep moving in that direction of having four out of four. Correct. Right. Good. So 
Jasper gives me a reason every morning at about 530 to put on some <laughs> pants. Right. right. But is <laughs> so the answer is it sweatpants. Right. Be- well, today I had on jeans because I okay. told you it was like 39 degrees yeah. outside, yeah. Uh, but typically it's sweatpants. So you got me there. <laughs> um, and, and I don't want to work remote, but it's not because of the people. Um, it's the traffic. Right. I absolutely enjoy it. Like I was just in the office yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I absolutely enjoy the people that I work with. Yeah. Right. But I don't want to drive in traffic for an hour and a half, two hours, one way, right? To Every get day. that enjoyment, right? Yeah. So, um, so I love the time we spend when when I'm there at work, and it's not a social event. Obviously, we're doing a lot of work. Um, but like I said, the the culture and the environment is really is really optimal. Uh, what do you like about at. the culture at your work? I love asking people about this. Tell me what, what you like about the culture at your work. Well, what I like about it is is you have you have guidance, right? So we have a common goal, right, in business, right, whatever that the leader puts out, and then there's guidance. But what happens is you have the you have the um, ability to go about it in your own way, to make mistakes, mm-hmm. to find yes. ways to get better, right, without um, being fearful, right, to take chances, oh, you know. So it's it's a really good environment, and then everyone's fair, you know. If you if you mess up, you got to answer for it, of course, like most places, right? But it's not in a way to kind of demean you. It's more in a way to build you up and to get everything, you know, in a stronger structure. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. I would describe that as a culture of ex- where experimentation is allowed. Right. Um, which I think is really important. And, you know, the world I came from in IT, um, most of my, a big chunk of my career was in uh, teams using agile software development. And in the most effective software development shops using agile experimentation is actually baked into all of the processes. So there's no, you know, trying to, trying to say that, you know, everything that you're going to build for the next year up front. And there's no, um, I mean, you might have a roadmap of we want to solve these problems with our software that we're selling or that we're using internally in the next year, but you're not trying to get down to the nth degree um, up front. And that allows for feedback loops and experimentation and trying and falling on your face and picking yourself back up and fixing it. Right. And I'm, I value that a lot. So sounds like I would like that place too. I know, I know you would. Part of that place. But, you know, what's <laughs> so interesting is... Um, a lot of people don't understand culture. And when I first came up with those foundations, there were only three. So I had environment and culture were smashed together under culture. And then I realized that people were confusing things like free pizza on Friday and office snacks and that kind of stuff with culture. And to me, I, I actually heard a really, I started following a really great people leader. So she used to be a chief people officer. Her name is Barbie Winterbottom. Um, Strongly suggest following her on LinkedIn. She's great. But she talked, she's the first one I heard talking about culture being values and action. And uh, when you, when we all live in a world where people have slick marketing departments, and it's not that hard to write up a few paragraphs about values on a website, it can be very difficult for a prospective employee or a prospective investor or client 
to figure out what actually is happening in the culture of a company. Mm. And when you're an employee, you know, going into the office, you know, or, or being part of a team, whether you're going in the office or not, 40 plus hours a week, that's a lot. That's a lot of your life if it turns out that the values is wrong are wrong. And if you're thinking about being a client or a partner in some way of, of a firm, if you hook up with the wrong company, with the wrong culture, it can be a multi-million dollar mistake. You can harm your business just by being um, in a partnership with, you know, the wrong the wrong person that has a, a values clash. So I like to ask people, you know, don't let, don't let the recruiter or the hiring manager, or anybody get away with just saying, Oh, well, this place has a great culture. Cause that's really lazy. Instead, I like them to ha- ask virtually everybody that they interview with, what is one of the corporate values that you love the most and how do you see it play out in day-to-day life working here and in policy. Mm, okay. Because, you know, and some, some, some things that are a little more intangible, like they, you might not see them in policy or they might be developing policy, but a really good example that um, I had someone point out is there, after George Floyd was murdered, there were a lot of people that were trying to say, oh, we, we value diversity, we value equity, blah, 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 DEI, forever. Right. But then when you looked and you asked questions, what you found out is that they had not yet updated their anti-discrimination policy to cover LGBTQ community. They had not, uh, and they didn't have things like domestic partner benefits mm. inside their benefits programs. And there was no plan to get there. Now the, the decision to make those pivots is huge. Um, so, you know, if you value DEI and belonging, the it's not like updating your insurance policies is the only way to show. <laughs> that <you care> about <laughs> right. That. But if a large company in particular that can afford more expensive benefits that can take more risks in those areas or incur more expense is not doing it, it's more of a red flag. So I actually do some small business consulting work um, with some businesses that are kind of in that like 10 employees sort of range, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And I went over that with a business owner last year because we were updating his employee handbook and we were trying to make sure the policies were in line with other things he had in place. And he said, you know, I really struggle with this because right now I have an office. His entire team at the time was women. It was a small operational staff of women. Um, Nobody was transgender, for example, but he was very concerned about the implications of officially updating all of his employee handbook to call out um, that we do not discriminate on the basis of transgender status because his attorney advised them that he was going to have to go redo all of his health insurance in order to do that. So it's like, those are big decisions to make, but um, you can't just throw it on the wall. And the point of all of it is you cannot just throw it on the wall and say, we are now an amazing, um, diverse, equity, inclusion, belonging type company when you have done absolutely nothing else. So, and that goes to the other value. So, 
so speaking of DEI, like you, you're really, which I'm not an expert on that. By no, you don't have to be. Like, I'm just gonna. <laughs> like I don't. I want everyone to know that the white lady from Kansas is not pretending to be a DEI expert. Although I do have thoughts on it, so please shoot. Let's talk about it. Go. <laughs> no, so I'm I'm a member of the board for the African American Employee Resource Group. Okay. And so our parent company. Um, invited all of the board members for all of the ERG groups uh, up to South Carolina to have like a, a summit. Cool. And in doing so, um, you know, the, the president of our parent company, you know, he, he stayed the entire day, right? He was a part of the conversation, a part of the exercises and, and things like that. And then the group talk, or not the, I shouldn't say group talk, but the uh, conversations and discussions um, were really genuine, and there are a lot of passionate people um, in our uh, totality of the ERG program. And I had a guy, uh, one of my um, coworkers, he came to me and he was like, hey, with so many ERGs standing up, so I think we have like what the LBG, uh, acronym of the LB, I get that wrong all the time, so I apologize. LGBTQ. Right. Uh, so what African-American, uh, Latino, Latinos, um, the millennials or the different generations, right? Mm -hmm. They're called Connect. Um, and we're standing up the military uh, veterans one, and I'll be the president of that board uh, in the next month or so. And the question was, with so many different groups, employee resource groups uh, standing up, then are you concerned with the perception of those starting segregated groups? And I was like, huh, that's an interesting perspective because that's not the perspective or the thought that I initially had, right? And when I went to the summit, I definitely didn't have because it was all about combined efforts, right? Mm -hmm. So the African-American and Latinos and the Watt having an event together, right? It was all about a combined message to say, hey, um, you know, we're, we're here. And if there are any issues, let's talk about it, right? This is an open space. This is a, a not a safe space, but is it a, a, it's a forum, right? For us to, to talk about different things. I'm getting all uh, messed up in the mouth because it's emotionally, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it really uh, brings emotion to me. Uh, just thinking about the passion that the people showed at the, at the event. Um, but this is one of the reasons, and I'm going to sum this up really quick. This is one of the reasons why, and I wanted to be a part of those ERGs as well, that I feel really good about the environment and the culture. Because from the top up, like from the leadership level, mm -hmm. you can see that it is something that they are passionate about. It's not something that was just pinned. It's not yeah. something. And you can see the actions of things. You talked about um, the different policies, right? for transgender or the different uh, same-sex uh, uh, benefits, right? And those things have been addressed and those things have been updated, right? So anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to say that because I, I was love, super no, impressed. I love that you shared that because um, I have a, you know, I've worked at some companies that early in my career, worked at some bigger companies that were large mm -hmm. enough to have ERGs, but they weren't cool yet. Like they, right. they, they weren't as big as they are right now. And then I went through a period where it wasn't a thing because that was just like not the size of company that I was working in. But um, I, I've had a complex relationship 
with how I thought about ERGs too, because I've been a woman in tech and I found that I, like, I cannot stand a lot of the women in tech or women focused organizations because they end up being man haters clubs. And so Mm. for me, the difference, like whether it is a school club, a meetup in the community, a whole entire separate organization or an ERG for me to want to participate and support something I want to know that you're for something instead of spending all your energy being against something. Um, I think I'm fundamentally like we're all, you know, I'm not a fan of injustice in general. So of course I'm going to combat that kind of thing, but walking into a woman's focused group where they are spending all their time saying basically the patriarchy sucks is very different from walking into a woman's focus group where they're saying, how can we lift each other up? So I prefer the latter. So Mm. with the ERGs, I think sometimes what happens is that people feel like, and this is common with white men, because when all these ERGs start up, what ends up happening is that white men feel like they don't have a place to belong at their workplace, especially if the ERG program is really strong. I've heard people say this. And so then it's like, well, you know, HR sure doesn't want to set up a white guy's ERG. Um, but at the same time, how do we make sure 100% of the people working at this company can feel like they have a place to go to belong? I don't have an answer to that. I'm not smart enough. Interesting. I like that. But, um, I've been really interested in that for a while this last year. Um, I started pick there's the first few years in my coaching career, I attracted more women. And I think part of it is because I was not embracing my own personality as much as I could. And part of it is because a lot of times women feel more comfortable being coached by women. But in 2022 is it's the first year that I had kind of a 50, 50 split. I may even have actually had more private clients that were men this year, And so I really got to hear some things over and over again that I had not heard. Um, And a lot of that is around the fact that men and most of my client, all but one of my clients this year was a white man. Uh, No, two. I had one man from Puerto Rico and one Indian man. And then all the, my other male clients were men. And it was very interesting to talk to them about two different areas. Number one is mental health. Because there are a lot of men that do not feel safe to talk about the fact that they are burned out and they are stressed and they wish they could spend more time with their families, just like women are feel more comfortable and open to do, at least in online spaces. Um, and one of the big reasons why it's not safe for men is that the women attack them. A lot of women have felt like they were bearing the load for so long that if a man says, well, yeah, I'm definitely stressed out too or I, I have same concerns, um, some of the women will go back and say, well, shoes on the other foot, haha, type stuff. And I've watched this happen in comments sections to my clients. So right. I'm not making this stuff up. The other area, um, another big area is in relationship to DEI, because there is a, there's a very loud set of people 
and I, I don't know that it's the majority or the more minority, but I just know that I've heard it loudly, that think that no white person is ever qualified to work in the DEI space. Um, and that definitely no like executive leader in DEI should be white. Um, some of them specifically say only black people are qualified for that. And I think that that there's problems with that. I understand some of the sentiments, but it's also really, really problematic when you're a white man that wants to do better for women, for people of other races, for, you know, all kinds of different groups and you don't know how, and then you get told you're not, you're kind of like almost not welcome into the conversation, which is really not a fun place to be in. So I've seen, I've seen both of those things play out and both of those things causing stress and people in my community. And so, um, you know, I don't know the solution to it. You know, my solution tends to be, can we talk to each other about what's really the problem? Right. Um, and can we be open? But it's very hard for people to to be open sometimes. So right, it is hard. It is hard to get people to open up, and yeah. um, and that, you know that was part of my concern as well. Like not necessarily. I love that you have a healthy ERG. Can yeah, we do. We do. We about. really do. And I really love that there was that summit to coordinate efforts. I think that's critical. Right, but my but still, you know. Um, that's all the passionate people um, yeah. who are, who are on the boards. Right. And there's still the concern with perception. Right. So, um, you know, you know, especially when it disseminates down to the, to the different operating companies and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that across the country, right. Who are in different areas. Right. You, you know, I'm in California, so it's a lot more liberal, you know, you start going down South, you start going up North, you know, different places, right. They have different, sentiments, different perceptions, different ideals and all that other stuff. So, um, so that is interesting. And that's something to, to, um, keep in mind. Um, yeah. So one I definitely... of the things I see happen a lot, mm-hmm. uh, is that people try to politicize things that shouldn't be political. I mean, we try to politicize everything. It feels like, you know, well, these days, like, yeah. Yeah, how you feel about Twitter right now is like a political thing, Yeah, which is crazy. Cause that's just watching a train wreck no matter yeah. what party you're in or how you feel about Twitter. Um, Twitter's been a train wreck since it opened, as far right. as I'm concerned. Nothing going on with Elon Musk really is a... It, it's just in the news. It's always been a mess. Right. But um, I think that one of the reasons rank and file people sometimes get upset about things like ERGs or changes mm-hmm. in policy is because the things end up getting politicized in the conversation too quickly, unintentionally or unintentionally. Um, one of my biggest concerns, this is, do you guys have an ERG at your company for any ERGs for either neurodiverse people or people that are just, uh, with disabilities? Is that on your list? Um, I don't think we do, but I believe at the summit, because we're like a lot of these, groups and that's why i said they're 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 coming up right so yeah yeah, when you yeah so we want to make sure that everyone's included right and make sure that it's you get what i'm saying so to answer your question no um but i think i'm pretty sure that it's in the works good because what i see right now um i have a couple of friends i've met in the last year or two well since covid 
that say that honestly, one of the best gifts they've been given in their career is COVID because they are disabled and it is hard for them to hold down a job where they work five days a week mm. in the office. Yeah. And one of them um, said, uh, she actually is an extrovert that is like wanting to go to the office. Like she wishes she could go more, but she has to find a balance and she, you know, right. she's constantly in it, she can't always drive like some of her conditions make it difficult for her to drive and she's not in an area with good public transport and so like for her to feel belonging and to get mental health needs met actually involves going to the office sometimes and her company is not doing a stellar job of supporting that right now Got it. right um so the whole issue of disability whether it is um physical or mental, like neuro, neuro, I don't know, the like neurodiversity type thing. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, I think, is going to be the next frontier because right. this giant proportion of people have invisible disabilities. Right. That, that they don't want to have to talk about. Like they don't want everything to be about their disability. I found out in 2021 that I have Hashimoto's and a couple of other endocrine disorders that'll lay me out flat. And for me, you know, I work for myself and yes, I need to make enough money to live and everything. But if I need to sleep in, it's not a big deal. And not everybody has that luxury. Right. So I did not know where this conversation was going to go, but I'm happy. Yeah, this way I know, but then that's that's what makes it. I didn't, um, I didn't send you any questions that I was going oh, to, you know, I, I just I want to have a conversation with you. Right. Yeah, so this is awesome. Because um, so often, like sometimes, especially with the podcasts that are only wanting a strict, like 20 or 30 minute format, it's like, you feel like you do, you're hearing the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, if I write a book about these four foundations or about something else, I'm happy to go on 150 podcasts and talk about the book and talk about the four things in the book and answer all the book questions. But it's so cool to just talk to a person that I've never met before (laughs) about stuff. Isn't it? Yeah. I I do too, but, but I am going to bring it back. Yeah, let's do it. Because well, show buddy, we didn't, we didn't really go anywhere, but I'm going to bring it back to a point where you, 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 your clients, are um, a lot of leaders, right? So you yeah. deal with executives and stuff like that. Yeah, right? I deal mostly with um, in the for my corporate career in executive coaching clients. It's mostly people from like frontline management up to like VP level. I don't okay. hang out in the C suite that much at this point. Right. I do work with some small business owners, so I have done like some advisory consulting and executive coaching for. A handful of small business. So I'm dealing with the CEO in that gotcha. case, but it's over 20 people or 10 people or, you know, it's not a fortune 500 company. So, so do you give them, so I, I know we were talking about, um, based off of the platform that we met on, um, work shouldn't suck. And these are your four foundations, right? But when you're talking to executives or leaders, um, do you have a, a, a an opportunity to discuss their contribution to making the environment better. Oh yeah. Or what are their responsibilities to make that happen? I, I talked, I talk about that a lot and I've really gotten, I read a book recently. Um, you might enjoy this book. It's called nine lies about work. Okay. Um, and so it talks about like these things that we, I don't want to spoil the book for you, but 
one of the things that is a lie about work that they refute is that it matters what company you work for. And long story short, the research that they did is that it's actually, there's more variance in culture and employee engagement and happiness between teams in the same company than there is between the companies at large. So there's less, there's more difference between like, engineering team number one at Cisco and engineering team number two that may be in a different office at Cisco than there is between like Cisco and Oracle as giant tech companies. And so I like talking about that because since right now I'm not focusing on large companies C-suite, when you hear all this culture has to come from top down type stuff, people that are at middle management levels feel disempowered. You know, they're like, I, I'm not in the boardroom with the CEO. What can I do? And so if they can focus on making their team a great place to work, they can still be like accepting as much responsibility as they can. They might not be able to, you know, shape the entirety of the corporate culture, but they can definitely make their team a much better place to work. Um, and I do some reframing with people. I have a client right now who is currently being tapped as the successor to be promoted to be GM of a business unit within his company. And um, I've been working with him most of this year. And I talked to him a lot about people leadership. And one of the questions I posed to him recently was, what do you consider your prime directive as the GM to be? And he said, well, it's, uh, you know, he's, he said some things about maintaining customer satisfaction and profitability and that kind of stuff. And a lot of that is stuff that he's responsible for in his current role as a manager. And I said, what if that's not actually your job? What if your job is instead to create the environment where everybody inside your business unit can do the, make sure those things happen. It's a total reframe. And so the conversations that we're having about how he would lean and what he's responsible for and where he would spend his time it's different because if you are managing profitability, your nose might be in your whatever your Tableau reporting portal, checking out what's going on with stuff and figuring out who approved this deal that you know is not hitting a profitability target. Where if your role is to create an environment, it might be more about communications training or it might be more just spending a lot of time talking to people about what they need in order to make things happen. So I do talk to people about that. It's one of my favorite parts of my job, honestly. Good, good, good. (laughs) It's like I accidentally figured out I was good at that. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, I'm glad. how do I I, make that more of my job? So, And I'm glad that you do because that is an important message, especially, you know, if, if, I mean, that's a key point that you brought up. If you're not in the room, that makes those decisions, right? How can yeah. you, how can you affect change, right? You don't yeah. feel disempowered or not empowered, I should say. So, yeah. good, I like that. And why do you like it? <laughs> well, it's, so many people feel powerless, and what's so yeah. interesting to me is, um, you know, the the people that the people that I work with, I think the lowest salary of somebody that I worked with this year was maybe like seventy k. You know, like most of the people I'm working with are a hundred K plus. Right. Um, and it's starting to tilt higher and higher as I work with more and more leaders in, in this tech space. Um, so people that are working in salaries that 
it's kind of like a survival thing. That's, I don't have as much experience working with clients like that because I don't know that I have credibility um, to relate to that situation. I haven't really been in it. I can relate to the situations of the people that I've been in. But what I will say is that I don't care whether I'm working with a client that makes 70K or I'm working with a client that makes 500K. I hear about feelings of powerlessness from every single level. Right. So the CEO of a company might feel powerless because they have trouble influencing a board. Um, and some might say, well, your job is to get the board on board. Oh, see what I did there? Yeah. Your job <laughs> is to get the board on board. But that doesn't mean that they don't feel like it's really hard. So everybody has like a lot of hard at every level. And so I talk to people a lot about their hard and what's manageable and what is just not worth it. Because sometimes... Sometimes hard is something worth busting through. And sometimes hard is just the universe telling you that the situation is no longer serving you or no longer right for you. Right. That's true. So um, our final, we're going to close this out. But before we go, I just would like for you to give some advice. All right. That To the audience. Something... Very here's, profound. There you go. Here's this is simple, but I've been told it's profound. So you tell me what you think. Okay. The biggest thing I have been telling people when they ask me what's one thing that you wish I my podcast audience knew, or what's one thing you want me to know as you know, as your client, Diana, and that is what you want actually matters. Um, we spend so much of our lives trying to do what everybody else wants. And if you ever read, there's a book called the top five regrets of the dying. I can't remember who wrote it, but one of the top five regrets of the, of the dying is that they did not live a life more authentic to who they were and who they wanted to be. Right. So what you want matters. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're like a selfish jerk all the time. But it means that if you want to work at a company that prioritizes having a healthy culture and doing things like having ERG groups like you work for, you might want to be calling Lee and saying, tell me about your company because this sounds like a place I want to work instead of sitting and stewing at a small company that doesn't invest anything in that. If you want to do work that's challenging, then you need to figure out how to go and do it instead of sitting in the corner saying, I, you know, if work was fun, they wouldn't call it work, which is kind of an attitude I heard a lot when I was growing up. So what you want actually matters. It is okay to want things and it is okay to go and chase those things. Um, It's not selfish or if it is selfish, it's selfish in that putting on your oxygen mask first kind of way. Right. To help That's my takeaway. Diana Alt. Is that, am I saying that? Yeah, you got it. Alt. Alt. Alter, your alter ego, Diana, <laughs> a.k.a. the secret Dakota ring. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm going to. I like it too. I've got no BS career growth strategist and executive coach everywhere, but maybe I'll change it to secret Dakota ring. Uh-huh. Let's put no BS. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> I like the no BS. I I I picked that and put that kind of in some of my branding because other people told me that's who I was. I'm like, well, that's what I'm hey. protecting. Let's own it. <laughs> I like it. Hey, and I also like the fact I appreciate you coming in, just having a good conversation with me. Uh, that's that's what it's all about. 
Um, and then taking a look back, looking at some things and how you've created your your future, your present space, right? By looking at some things that happened in the past. Uh, you know, the, the, the podcast is called Hindsight, right? So we yep. take a look at that and, and what can we do to make it a more meaningful uh, uh, life without uh, having uh, those top regrets that you spoke about, those top 10 yeah. regrets or of the dying, right? Because I, I hear a lot about that as well, where you're doing stuff and you got to make money, you got to live, right? So you accept a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and and you you sacrifice other things, right, that are important to you in that in that space. So um, understanding what is important to you and then looking out, cause there's so many places that you can have it, have it your way. Right. And then be in- more opportunity yeah, to go chase what you want. Yeah. Than there is right now. That doesn't mean that it's easy. Oh, it's not easy. So many of the things that we can do now didn't exist five years ago or 10 years ago. Or 10 or 15. Yeah. You know, when I first joined the army, and I, I'm not going to make this a long story, but when I first joined the army, it was because I wanted to be a park ranger. Oh yeah, right, cool. And and it's stupid me, right? They said, oh, "Well, you can do two years in the army, or you can do two years in college." And I chose the army because I'm that guy, right? <laughs> so I was done with high school. High school was not hard; it was fun. You and, were just and, done. But I just, I just, cool. I just mentally, and I look back on this now. You know, I just was not in the mind state of of the curriculum of high school like i wanted to know what i wanted to know i already knew how to read so why am i doing english lit and why am i doing all of these things i know how to read right so i focused on um drafting i focused on more artistic type stuff and when i got out of the army i you know i went and i worked for a, a uh, engineering company in maryland right mm-hmm. but but i really you know once i did that and i was like you know what i want to be a federal person. I think that's what it was. I wanted to, you know, be federal. So park ranger was pretty cool because I didn't want to be a full cop, but I wanted to be a cop. And then that was the requirement. So anyway, a whole lot of dumb stuff. Right. But I look back on those things and I try to tell people like, just like that is a small part of your life. Like I'm 52 now. Right. That was so long ago. Right. But it still impacts like a lot of things, like all of those decisions that you make, throughout your life, they impact you. They make you who you are. They either give you those opportunities or they limit some opportunities, right? Based off of the decisions you make. So the whole point of, um, and I told you another thing earlier, but really personally for me, the whole point of hindsight for me is to understand that you have to make the best decisions, right? The better your decisions that you make, because we're making them all the time. I had a decision to to talk to you today, you had a decision to wait while I tried to figure out all of the ins and outs and get the connection together. Right. Yeah. But all of those decisions, small or big, do I leave this job and go for another position that I have no idea how the culture is, the climate, the people, the boss. Right. But all of those decisions make you who you are at this moment in your right now. Yeah, That's why I don't talk about like, there's not a, a lot of regrets that I carry. Yeah, but, you know, there's, really. there's a few and most of them are around things not done, not things that I did, um, which is a really common thing. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I would temper your message of make make good decisions with don't be so afraid that your decision has to be perfect that you don't do anything. So I like that improving too. the quality of your decisions as you go through life is a good thing. It's why we do stupid stuff when we're in high school and college. 
and then we start to get smarter and we do less stupid stuff. But improving the quality of your decision making. Let me let me put that down. Yeah. That's oh. that's a real thing that people need to focus on. And like honestly in in 30s and 40s the the poor quality decision that I hear people make a lot mm-hmm. is one to chase money. Yeah. In a way that is detrimental to health or relationships. Yeah. And the sweet spot where a lot of my clients are at, I work with a lot of people who hit um, hit this, you know, they're 42 years old or most of my clients are between like 35 and early 50s. Right. And they just have hit this moment of like, is this all? Is yeah. this all there is? And so some of my clients, yeah, they want to go make more money because they're underpaid. But a lot of my clients are really trying to chase fulfillment. They're not yeah. trying to chase money and they're or they're trying to take a shift that'll allow them to recapture health that they sacrificed or things like that. So improving quality of decision. I got it. I wrote it down and that'll be my, that'll be my new, the way I can capture what I'm trying to say. So I appreciate that. Copywriting fee invoice. I know. Look, I'm getting coached by the coach to beat no BS. Hey, (laughs) there is no BS here. No BS. All right. All right, Diana. Oh, where can uh, where can someone reach out to you? And obviously, I'll I'll, I'll put some stuff in the yeah. Uh, in the show the notes. best places to find me and kind of figure out about me. I have my website is dianaalt.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to just kind of follow what I'm doing or get on, hop on my email list. I have an email list that is very entertaining. If I do mm-hmm. so myself, awesome. um, you can smash the the big green button at the top and it'll okay. take you to a form to fill out. I also am very active on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, so my LinkedIn uh, profile is probably the next plus best place to go to um, see some of how I think about things and to connect with me there. So beautiful. That's the best spots. All right. I got it. Hey, once again, Thank you, Diana, for coming on the show. Your insight is amazing. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me. Hindsight is 2020. Hindsight is key. To learn that, you don't need no type of degree. Learn from the past, see what the present gonna be. I'm a wise man, look at these blessings on me.